You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Think again with Borderlands Cooperative. Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio, 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to our 116th program of Think Again. Think Again is presented to you by Borderlands Cooperative, an organisation working for social change for some years now. I'm Jennifer Burrell. Jacques isn't here today, but I'm interviewing a powerful advocate for women and their human rights. Diana Syed is CEO of the Australian Muslim Women's Centre for Human Rights. Diana can help us understand a bit more about what is happening in Afghanistan and perhaps help us direct our best advocacy efforts as well. So welcome to the program, Diana. Thank you for having me, Jennifer. It's a pleasure to be here today. And it's a real privilege to have you with us too. Thank you. We've been witnessing uh, some pretty harrowing stories about our withdrawal from Afghanistan and the really perilous situation we've placed many people in, including Afghan women fighting for human rights, and workers at the Afghanistan Independent Human Rights Commission, many of whom we've left, tragically, we've left high and dry. But uh, before getting into that, Diana, can you tell us a bit about the Australian Muslim Women's Centre for Human Rights? When did it come about and, and what's its purpose? What, what's the centre involved in? Yeah, thanks, Jennifer. Uh, the Australian Muslim Women's Centre for Human Rights is an organisation that's actually been around for, this is our 30th year and, um, you know, all of our sort of plans to celebrate and have a party have been waylaid because of COVID and lockdowns where we're calling in from the um, land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. I'd just like to also acknowledge mm-hmm. that um, calling in from Nam and to mm-hmm. acknowledge that we're virtually calling in um, on the lands, unceded stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people, as I've mentioned, and um, to acknowledge all First Nations um, communities and their elders and mm-hmm. um, that this is, was and always will be Aboriginal land. Mm. Thank so, you, Diana. No problems. And so our centre is based here in Nam, yet we sort of um, work nationally in terms of our policy and advocacy and research work. And it it was an organisation that was created by Muslim women for Muslim women at a time where there needed to be very specific, specialised service providers who understand the sort of very specific needs of Muslim women, particularly those who are experiencing family violence, who have settlement needs, who, who you know, really wanted to be able to have those closer relationships with women from their own communities. And we mm-hmm. understood sort of a lot of the trauma for those who are coming to Australia from different backgrounds because the migration stories and journeys for Muslim communities in Australia are 
it's it's the hybridity and the plurality that exists is quite diverse. Mm-hmm. So we it was created by women, um, you know, to provide housing services and family violence support for women. And we've just evolved over the last 30 years to be doing a lot of work in programs. We run leadership programs. We run support and parenting programs for mothers. We do um, a lot of newly arrived communities coming here and we, we work with them um, around gender equality, human rights, informing them of um, sort of the new sort of frameworks that they're operating in in Australia. Um, and we do a lot of work on Islamophobia, anti-racism, um, getting women to really understand and building literacy and awareness as well as doing casework, whether it's settlement casework or family violence, and we work on issues um, specific to our communities around early enforced marriage or Islamic divorce. And second to, not secondary, but we ground a lot of our research um, that we do in partnerships with academic institutions and universities Australia-wide. We'll sort of bring a lot of those emerging issues within our communities out and do a lot of data and research to ground that work in evidence around gaps or shortcomings or trends, whether it's an Islamophobia report or it's a policing and surveillance in a post 9-11 world or it's around how do we then inform policy that will lead to greater sort of improvements um, and protections for our communities that in an Australian, uniquely Australian context, keeping in mind the plurality and the diversity that exists. We are traditionally non-religious, so we use a human rights framework, which uh, heralds sort of um, gives us a lot of scope to work with those, the diversity of um, that exists within our community. And we sort of have a, we're grounded in feminist principles and, you know, very much around using a trauma-informed, strengths-based approach to the women that we service and work alongside. And because we are reflective of the communities we service, we're able to be a very grassroots-led mm. organisation and we're deeply embedded in the communities we work alongside. So mm. we've done a lot of research Um in the space and then yeah advocacy and then media and comms has sort of come naturally from that where Mm. we've become experts that we lead on policy and reform in the space so Mm. yeah covering it you cover a lot of ground and it's obviously your approach is very well thought out and as you say um, it's well researched but obviously grounded in the diversity and the plurality sorry, plurality of all the women that you're supporting as well. So, yeah. yeah. So thank you for that really really comprehensive description. Um, So thinking about uh, the chaotic and hasty withdrawal of the US and its allies from Afghanistan, which I think people are very conscious of, uh, and that's the withdrawal of the US and its allies, including Australia, of course. I'm wondering, Diana, were you surprised and... Uh, what do you think it means and will mean for people living in Afghanistan and and add women, um, people from Afghanistan here too, if you like, in your response? Yeah, so I think, you know, making that connection that we are Australia-wide um, organisation based primarily here in Victoria and we service the entire Muslim community and that represents over 178 different ethnicities Mm. and different sects and beliefs and um, interpretations of Islam. For us, it's, we have that approach. Um, Mm. However, the, the reason why we have really taken 
the situation unfolding in Afghanistan so much to heart and have become quite vocal and largely um, because we service a lot of Afghan women through our programs, through our casework. Um, You know, I, as the CEO, also happen to be from Afghanistan, our board members. But it's beyond that in terms of we understand that these situations unfolding in countries do not exist in a vacuum, that this will have incredibly long-reaching implications for the region. It will have destabilising force for a lot of countries. It will lead to mass exodus of people who are safely trying to seek asylum in, Mm. you know, neighbouring and third country states. What does that mean for us longer term in in, in regards to our obligations because we were part of that 20-year intervention. But mm. beyond that, you know, the, the destabilising sort of uh, history on the context of Afghanistan. So it's sort of just to kind of ground that the reason why our organisation has taken this on so much rather than, um, you know, something that, you know, if it was happening we, we do take this approach where if it's a human rights situation, particularly for women and girls, for our Muslim sisters, um, but it's just such a pertinent crisis point that will have these far-reaching implications that we had that impetus to really become quite vocal on. Mm-hmm. So it's beyond just the personal, it's quite political as well. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to qualify that with a caveat. Um And, yeah, for us really it's multifaceted. It's, it's very hard to sort of explain it in 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 a sentence or two about Mm -hmm. the withdrawal and the I'm sure your listeners saw the images unfolding of people Mm -hmm. scrambling at the airport it's shocking it's Mm -hmm. pierced in my memory the Mm -hmm. the vision of people running to you know to fling themselves at the airplane and people don't do that lightly they because there's a genuine fear Mm -hmm. that any attempts to try and get on a plane it's because the land is not safe and I think we always have to keep that in the back of our minds is that you know this sort of 20-year narrative in a post 9-11 world has created this blanket dehumanizing narrative about Muslims and about refugees and people who are fleeing their homes no one takes that decision lightly and it's because their homes are no longer safe for them and their children Mm. So for us, it really is about taking stock of where we're at in historical context, understanding that Australia was the second um, nation to commit to the US-led intervention. We were right up there, shoulder to shoulder with the US. Um, You know, we were there committed for the whole duration of the 20-year intervention. Mm. And, you know, people talk about how there were mistakes made there was a damning report and allegations put by the Brereton Inquiry um, about the allega- the damning allegations of war crimes that were committed by the Australian Defence Force that no mm-hmm. one to date has been held accountable. So mm-hmm. we played a role, but now we also have a responsibility to the Afghan people, and I'm just wary that that is getting lost in some of these media reporting. Yeah, thank you. Uh... Yeah, thank you for outlining that. Uh, I, I have heard that uh, a goal of Australia pairing up with the US in going to Afghanistan was 
alliance maintenance. And I was thinking of that this morning. I thought, well, uh, you know, thousands of people have died, of innocent people have died for us to maintain an alliance. It's not, doesn't seem like much of a goal. And yeah, I, I guess I'd certainly agree that we have a really strong moral obligation to support uh, people from Afghanistan and, and also the people who've been stranded there. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the, the rhetoric is that there were 41 ADF personnel uh, and the casualty that um, ensued over the last 20 years. And, you know, I, it's not up either or and there's no there's no binary about ADF lives versus Afghan lives. It's actually mm-hmm. just that there's a huge missing piece mm-hmm. around how many Afghan lives. There were 80,000 and that's wow. a very conservative figure. That's there were 80,000 Afghan lives lost in the intervention versus, yeah. 40, versus 41. And mm-hmm. now that, that figure of 41 is across all all of the media reporting on this, but yet that 80,000 figure is completely erased. And so that reporting of itself feeds this narrative that our somehow our lives aren't of equal value. And that's what I want to push Yeah, so uh, some people are more human than others somehow. I think there's an implication that, that, um, yeah. On that note, uh, we'll let that sink in a little bit. We'll go to some music. Banu Atash Neshin by Ariana Saeed.
You're listening to Think Again 3CR 855 AM on your dial, 3CR digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. Today I'm talking with Diana Syed from the Australian Muslim Women's Centre for Human Rights. We're talking about recent catastrophic events in Afghanistan and some of the effects and implications for Afghan women. So moving on to that, uh, last week we quoted from Tariq Ali's article, Debacle in Afghanistan. That was the title of the article. He said, quote, As for the status of women in Afghanistan, nothing much has changed. There has been little social progress, dot, dot, dot. One of the country's leading feminists in exile remarked that Afghan women had three enemies, the Western occupation, the Taliban, and the Northern Alliance. With the departure of the United States, she said, they will have two, unquote. And then uh, Tariq Ali adds that the women probably have one enemy to deal with now, of course, the Taliban, with the Northern Alliance seemingly defeated. So what's your view of that, Diana? I know that's a big question, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think um, it's always interesting when a male likes to comment on women's movements and who our supposed quote-unquote enemies are. I always mm-hmm. will caution people at home to uh, question whose narratives and whose voices are being privileged in the, the context. Um, and if it's not an Afghan voice or an Afghan woman talking on their own lived experience as an Afghan or as an Afghan woman and to tread carefully. So mm-hmm. I'll start there. Um, Tariq Ali is neither Afghan nor an Afghan woman um, mm-hmm. and also doesn't live in the country. He's based in the UK. So yep. always cautioning people and to questioning whose narratives here. Um, but in having said that, Afghan women have always been at the forefront of leading change in their societies and it's quite rich to, you know, sort of minimise the agency and the desire for self-determination that Afghan women have always been aspiring towards. This isn't a either-or situation. This isn't, you know, it, it's actually a lot more um, considered than that and, you know, my grandmothers and my aunties and my own mother never wore the hijab. It was something that was imposed. It was something that came through um, periods of uncertainty, of intervention, whether it was during the Cold War, uh, the Russians invaded, whether it was because of that um, internal geopolitical um, period of uncertainty that, you know, religion has been weaponized against women to curtail rights. And this mm-hmm. is not a, this is not a phenomenon that is unique to Afghanistan. We only have to look across the seas to what's going on in the US, in Texas, where we see mm-hmm. the far right religious um, trying to curtail women's rights there. So this is yeah. not a unique concept where religious extremists come in and the first thing that they go for are women's rights. And this this lack of cognitive, this cognitive dissonance and lack of sort of joining the dots across the world as this globalised trend evolves, that people see still have this orientalist, racist, old sort of mentality that really needs to be updated, um, that somehow the Taliban are 
a unique creation um, in the Middle East and that, you know, they're living some sort of dystopic world. This is happening globally. Mm-hmm. Um, they are a byproduct of very much being funded, armed, green-lighted, legitimised by the US, mm-hmm. funded and housed and homed by Pakistan by way of um, the US and and Saudi Arabia. So there's a, there's a lot of critical political analysis that is missing here, but mm-hmm. I just want to bring back to that point around Afghan women. If anyone has been following the news this week, you are witnessing in real time that Afghan women have been organising and mobilising on the streets from Kandahar to Jalalabad mm-hmm. to from Mazar to Erot, all the mm-hmm. way up to Panjshir predominantly, um, mm-hmm. unarmed, unafraid, civilised protest out there with mm-hmm. sort of the, their calls for freedom and human rights and dignity is to be commended. Yes. So if, if anyone wants to talk about Afghan women and our need to being saved is not paying close enough attention and is actually going out of their way to erase what is happening right now. Mm, thank you so much. That's a really strong point. And I think we've all been very struck by those public protests by women that their commitment and their bravery and their agency. Yeah. yeah so but we're, we're not, but we're not surprised by that, right? Because no. we, we've seen it, we've experienced it. We are that. It's this, mm-hmm. it's this very Western lens that has been adopted that somehow we didn't have that agency or the, mm-hmm. the desire to self-determine our lives. And that mm-hmm. has been a very reductive and flattening frame of reference that is mm-hmm. actually not true, nor has it ever been true. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that, Diana. I, I'm conscious we're coming to the end of our program. So I guess what I'd really like to ask you, uh, can you tell us what Australia, what you think and uh, the centre thinks Australia should do now to support the Afghan people, both in Afghanistan and those who have taken refuge here and elsewhere? Do you have a sense? And also, do you have a sense, which I think you've already answered this, that we have some sort of moral obligations? Yeah, so uh, definitely, 100%. Uh, you know, we have been advocating for a number of, of weeks, if not those who have been, you know, in the refugee and policy space for years now, around some key calls on Afghanistan. Our first one is around a once-off humanitarian intake of 20,000 people from Afghanistan, those who are most at risk right now, and at least 20,000 this is a number that we have, are looking at in terms of what Canada has done, the US has pledged, and the UK, as well as Kosovo and other states around the world in terms of bringing those most at risk here to Australia and granting them permanent protection and a pathway to citizenship. And those at-risk communities include um, ethnic and, and religious minorities, whether they're Hazara, um, Shia, or they're from um, the LGBTQI background. This also puts others at risk, to, you know, women, obviously, those who have been human rights defenders, journalists, others who have been engaged with um working with the Australian coalition forces on the ground. So the list is extensive. Mm -hmm. And second to that, we're also calling on those, there's about 5,100 people who are already here in Australia, have been living here on temporary protection or SHEV visas who have no pathways to permanent protection. And they've been here for eight or so years. 
Now, living life in limbo like that um, is absolutely Mm. just unconscionable for me. And I think that a lot of Australians just are unaware that they are here in our community. Mm. And that is a very easily sort of bureaucratic decision that the government can make today to grant them permanent protection because as we've seen in all the images coming out of Afghanistan that it's unsafe for them to return back there and then there are other calls around family reunification expediting um, pending visas for spouses for family for parents for siblings and all of those who have connections to Australia we can expedite those visas and bring them safely here so there are there's just a few of our key calls we have a number Mm -hmm. of others but there's a lot that people could be doing at home who are hearing about this, calling your MPs. It really, really does make a difference. And mm. I've been working in campaigning for a while um, and just because the media wanes and, you know, people think that there's been, you know, some sort of resolution. There hasn't. The no. Australian forces may have, uh, you know, withdrawn um, from the intervention, but the, those 35 million Afghans that have been left behind we continue to struggle. We continue yeah. to live and, and you know, worry about family and friends back there. And the diaspora community here in Australia has been mm. pivotal in, you know, part of the nation building here. We've got a long history of being engaged in Australia and our, mm. you know, families have lived here for de- for decades. So yeah. there, is, there is more than a moral obligation, I think. I yeah. would say it's imperative on us to act now. Yeah, I think so. And as you say, people can ring their MPs. They can ring the ministers in charge. You yeah. can ring the Prime Minister's office. You probably won't talk to the Prime Minister, but you will. You can leave a message with the staff and they do take note of it. Mm. Um, and also we have been spruiking um, the uh, petition the last couple That's of right. programs. Yeah. So go to www.actionforafghanistan.com. And we will put that link again on our program page for today. Um, Diana, we're going to have to bring the program to an end, but um, is there any very quick last thing you want to say before we sign off? Um, Just in terms of like what you're already doing, Jennifer, I think it's really important that um, for all the listeners at home, if you are curious to learn more about Afghanistan, please do. It's a rich history. It's it's quite an extensive um, context that needs to be understood. But also Mm -hmm. if you are running events or fundraising or having panels or anything about Afghanistan, please make sure that Afghan voices are centred. And just just question whether any petitions that you sign on to or any donations that you're making, that it's always Afghan-led and that our wishes are brought to the the forefront Mm. of this discussion. Thanks so much, Diana, and thanks so much for talking on the program today. Thank you for your strong advocacy and the advocacy of your centre. So we really appreciate you coming onto the program and advocating so strongly. Thanks for listening to Think Again to our listeners on 3CR Community Radio today. If you have any comments or suggestions for the program, you can email borderlands, uh, borders at borderlands.org.au. Our programs are available by podcast wherever you get your podcasts and via the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au. Thanks to Clive Bourne too for technical recording and production and music selection today. Meanwhile, stay tuned for the following program, Jailbreak, 
which gives a voice to our brothers and sisters in prison. In the meantime, please continue to enjoy the music from the from our pro, from the middle of the program by Ariana Saeed.